Well, you know, it's our church's mission to help all people take their next step in both knowing and following Jesus. And so when you hear a song like we just heard, that's what we're all about is about God calling us to all that we're created to be. He, he lifts us and calls us to a higher place than we've ever experienced, which he intended for us. And yet, in order to do that, you have to often go deeper. You have to go into your heart. And you have to understand what are those things that um, keep you there from moving there. Unmet um, needs and, and unhealed wounds or unresolved conflicts that, that need to be dealt with and, and, and needs the power of God to come in and, and cleanse and, and bring about healing so that you can begin to allow His Holy Spirit to lead you step by step. And we're all about that as a church. We're, our, our desire is to help every person here. Take that step to become more like Jesus has intended you to be. And, and so that's our, our prayer. So let's pray that together. Father, uh, everything we are doing here, it is really around this mission is to help um, us to become more like you, to know how to, um, to know your heart and to um, move into that love and then experience that and be set free by that so that we can begin to experience um, the healing of the wounds and conflicts and and the needs so that we don't have to go and move in ways and take steps that are contrary to you that are sinful. But we can begin to move into your presence because of the forgiveness and healing love you've given us. And so, God, come now, speak through these words that you have put in my mouth. Take these thoughts. And I pray that we would have humble, soft hearts. May my heart be humble and soft. That you might speak to me even in this time. In Christ's name, amen. I have to tell you that I'm a little bit sad, and I feel that way from time to time when I'm reading a, a book that I really enjoy, and I'm coming to the end of it. Have you ever experienced that kind of thing? Or you kind of go, oh. I feel that way often um, when I'm in a series of messages that I really enjoy, and it's been, God's been teaching me a lot, and I'm coming to the end of it. Well, today is the last in the series, Streetwise. And uh, originally I had planned on doing words like we did last week and then doing a message on procrastination. And, uh, and, and that words was so full, I decided, you know, we need to put words this week. And so I thought, you know, we'll just put procrastination off um, <laughs> to another time. Because there was so much in this message on words. So we will pick that up this summer. Um, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> But Proverbs tells us in a couple of places that, that in, in, in it calls wisdom in a personal way. Lady Wisdom stands on the, the busiest corners of the street and all kinds of those places where people are just packed, living life, and, and calls out. Imagine it this way. In a sense, he's saying, in the Minneapolis skyways at lunch hour, Lady Wisdom is shouting out to people. Anybody care to learn some truths about being wise, about how to lead and, and manage and use your authority in effective ways to parent and, and to come around your children to raise them in ways that they will be successful and, and know God in their life? Anybody willing to kind of look at your own anger and begin to examine that and how you can begin to, to um, find ways to use that energy in a productive and, 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 and helpful way? Anybody have trouble with your words. And if you do, Proverbs has lots to say about it. With the wisdom literature, those books within the Old Testament are full of these terms about word, mouth, tongue, all kinds of 
references to this because words are incredibly important. And one of the things that Proverbs is about is about practical everyday life matters, which are deeply spiritual. Just because we talk about everyday life things doesn't mean it's deeply, not deeply spiritual. All of life comes out of spirit. Either that which is evil or that which is good. And as Proverbs says, some of it comes out of a very foolish kind of spirit. So how do you use your words? Words are incredibly important. For me, it's without a doubt that I have caused probably more damage. I've hurt others, embarrassed myself more with my words than probably any other behavior. And it's also true that I've missed more opportunities to encourage or challenge or bless another person by failing to use words at a very appropriate time, using those words in a key place to give life. And I'm going to just guess and wager you've probably done the same. Solomon in Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 18:21. He says in, in, in Proverbs all these different uses of the words, but there's one of them that's critical here. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. I like the way the message puts it. And the message is very simple. It says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Pretty practical, pretty straight. In the New Testament, the writer James, the brother of Jesus, writes this letter to a group of churches. James is what I call the Proverbs of the New Testament. And people who love practical advice, just read James. And James talks a little bit about words at one point, and then he begins to expound on it a little bit later. In chapter 3, and he begins to, as he, he's writing, he says, We will all stumble in many ways, which is a very um, appropriate statement in life because of um, our own heart, which always tends towards selfishness. You see it in a little child with me. These unhealed wounds, these unresolved conflicts, the unmet needs we have, which cause us to stumble and to do things that are really um, sometimes hurtful and contrary to the purposes of God, which God calls sin. Those sinful acts come out of our lives because we, we just stumble along. And we do so most often with our words. And anyone, he says, who is never at fault in what they say are perfect. To keep the whole body in check. Which is really rather interesting when you think about that. The tongue, as we said, has the power of life and death. There is a sense that if you can control your tongue in one sense, it does two things. One, it checks your body, keeps it in check, but it also reveals your heart. And so if your tongue is, is so perfect and no flawless, you know, no, no word comes out of your mouth that is evil or foolish, then he says somehow your heart must be really right. And Jesus said it this way, out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. And so it just kind of reveals what's going on there. Someone wrote me an email this week when they had heard, I said last week, that I'm going to be in the series on words for another week, and they were probably praying and processing it. And they, they wrote me, there may be a reason Jesus has directed you to break um, this message on words into two messages. And I, I thought, well, that would be interesting. I wonder what they're going to say. And the person went on to say, if, there, if there's going to flow rivers of, of living water, of life from this congregation, from this church, this body, then how our tongues and the words that come from our mouth are used and expressed 
are critical. If we're to praise, if we are going to be people um, who are going to actually change things, we'll, our, our mouths will give thanks, will encourage, will challenge, will correct lovingly, will speak gently, will speak graciously. Those are the things that God says need to come from this body. And if this body begins to reflect that kind of heart, God will do incredible things through us. I just thought that's kind of interesting. It may be that God is speaking to us, so I want to just talk right here from the body. One of the things he wants us to do is to begin to understand and measure our words and understand how important our words, even within this body. And as we begin to see that and begin to do that and begin to live that and begin to bring under the control of the Holy Spirit our words, just imagine what can flow through us. James continues, notice the power of small things as he's thinking about this, that leverage large things. These small little things that have influence far beyond their size. Verse 3, when we put bits into the mouth of horses or make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. I have a small hobby farm, so I'm somewhat familiar with bits, so I pulled one of them that I had down in our little barn, and I brought it here because Having worked with horses and having had some experience with them, let me just tell you, when a horse wants to move and you're standing next to it, you don't stand a chance to stay where you're at. There's just incredible power in these animals. But what's so amazing is this little thing, just a few ounces in weight, if you, I won't put it in my mouth, it's pretty dirty looking, but anyway, you put it in the mouth of a horse and you can begin to just turn this massive, strong animal with this little thing. James is reflecting on that, and as he's reflecting on it, he begins to think also about a ship. He says, or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. You see, back in those times, in the times of Christ, when James was writing, those ships were really rather large. In fact, some of them, if they were filled full, would be about 400 tons in weight. And so when the wind would blow, it would give it this energy and it would begin to start moving. And he would say that what steered that thing, what moved that thing, was just a small little rudder, a piece of wood about the size of your front door. And by that little thing, you would turn it and the whole thing would move. James continues to talk about how incredibly powerful little things are. And so he finally, at this point, turns to the tongue, this little muscle that weighs three ounces and is about four inches in length in most people's mouth, except for the lead singer of Kiss. Um, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, you think about that. One little spark, one little match, carelessly, errantly placed, can destroy massive amounts of land. 17, in September 13, 2011, you may remember there were boundary water fires, and, and those fires up in northern Minnesota started by a small spark, devastated all kinds of acres. In fact, the fire was so enormous that it sent ash and smoke 
across vast sections of Wisconsin. And it, 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 the, the, um, the, the smoke and ash began to drift so much so that down in Milwaukee, they were getting some of the ash from the fire. And it's amazing when you think about it. It just doesn't even seem fair. The, the ratio of cause and effect of this little spark and all that it did is just massive. And I think James is telling us, listen, folks, just take a look at those examples and you'll understand even a small careless word, how important it is because of the impact it can have to either kill or to give life. The power of what we say and our inability to control what we say is critical to give thought to. And it's not just what we say verbally, it's, it's what we actually will email someone or we'll text someone or we'll Twitter someone or tweet whatever, Facebook post, inner office memos, a card, a letter. In fact, um, you just think about the power of our words. Uh, you've probably heard someone say before, all I said was, and mom went ballistic, Right? I mean, all I said was, and then for the next three games, the coach benched me. I can't believe it. All I said was, and now for the last five years, my sister hasn't spoken to me. All I said was, and, and for some reason, now my career at this company has stalled out. All I said had huge impact. James says, with your words, you can... Burn down an intimate relationship. A marriage, a friendship, a family relationship can go up in flames because of an untamed tongue. You can scorch a promotion. You can burn up a career. You can torch. You can torch all kinds of good things that God intends for you to experience by your words. So as I was thinking about this, I don't think we need to go into a whole lot of the the negative things and move that direction. What I'd want to do is to share with you that God, through his word, through the work that he has done through Christ on the cross, has allowed for people to experience a new heart. If you're open to this heart and, and you're humble to receive God through the work of Jesus Christ and begin to control your tongue, you have the power and ability. If you cooperate with God and his Holy Spirit and you begin to take this wisdom, you have the ability to change things. You have the ability to speak with wisdom how many would like to speak wisely okay a few of you good um, Proverbs 13 2 says this a person who uses their mouth to speak wisely will experience good how many would like to experience good okay now let's try this again how many would like to speak wisely should match those who want to experience good so if you want to do that, let me give you some tips. The first that Proverbs comes out, and you'll see it again and again, is that keep your words few. Keep your words few. Author John Orberg, who's going to be with us this next week, um, he and his wife Nancy were in a waiting room, and they were waiting for their daughter at school to come out after, you know, one of those parent. It was really a, the daughter was having a meeting with the teacher. They were waiting for her. And they were sitting there with some other parents for nearly an hour listening to another parent just dominate the room. The lady went on incessantly, nonstop, for about the entire hour. She was talking about her daughter's achievements. She was talking about their plans for the summer, her husband's job, and on and on and on and on. This went on nonstop for almost an hour. And John writes these words. Finally, her daughter stepped into the room from where her conference was, 
And the mom, seeing her, said to her daughter and her son, who had been sitting next to her, um, said, well, kids, we got to go. I've got to make reservations for dinner and then we got to meet your dad. And then I need. Oh, yes, I need to stop by the store to pick up some buttons. As if anybody cared. And, and it was those words. Got to stop by the store to get some buttons. That caught her eight year old little son's attention. And he spoke up for the first time. The only words he uttered the entire time were these. Mom, you need to get a button for your mouth. Ooh. As John tells the story, all of us were thinking it, but only an eight-year-old had the naivety and guts to say it. Proverbs says to those who want to be wise, get a button for your mouth. Keep your words few. Proverbs 10, verse 19, when words are many, King James is in the multitude of words. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. The message says the more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. Some of you may be wondering, I'm sure you've been wondering, why my messages are so long in the light of this truth. <laughs> ah, come on, I know that's probably going on. And, and I was thinking about this week, and I was thinking, well, I come to this, and I thought, you know what? I've also been wondering why it takes you so long to learn. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 reaffirms this truth. The one who has knowledge uses words with, in, in, with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Catch those things. Restraint and hold their tongues. You see this again and again through Proverbs. One of the wise tips for speaking is this. Make your words few. Hold your tongue. I heard someone say this the other day, and I thought it was so good. Hold your tongue. Uh, do you really need to share everything? For instance, there's this unnecessary negativity. Anybody ever experienced that? Do you really need to share this negative thing? How often is it really necessary to be Debbie Downer? Do you really need to toss out that critical statement? Do you really need to show the person just it's not going to work? And do you need to are there, do you have to necessarily share that negative thought? Proverbs says use self-restraint. Ask yourself am I, what I'm going to really share right now. Will it build up? And, and I thought this was kind of interesting. I was thinking about this. If you were to take your day and measure at the end of it and say how much was positive, how much was negative, where do you think you would fall on the scale? How often in conversation do you use good news? Do you build someone up? Do you move to those things which encourage? Or how often is it things like, oh, man, you know, it's kind of Johnny one note of, of negativity. Ah, oh, my back aches. My hair doesn't look right. Can you believe how stupid Washington is? It would really be nice if someone with intelligence was running this company. You know, if Minnesota would just have a decent professional sports team. You know, it's things like that. Another area I was thinking, not just unnecessary negativity, but we should button our lips when it comes to what I call unnecessary opinions. And I am the first. I'll just tell you the first to tell you. I um, and one of those persons who loves to give their opinion. I, I'm quick to offer what I think is really good insight, even when not asked. I heard a speaker once say, you know, one of the best things you can do is to quit giving opinions until someone asks you. Because if you're doing it, they're probably not going to listen. 
And uh, I think this happens so often. I, I remember when I was, um, my first Christmas, I think it was, in, in Thief River Falls. My wife and I have been married, and we go up to Thief River Falls. I'm from Chicago area. We're sitting around the table. We're having Christmas dinner. And, and the conversation, um, and I shared this the first service with my wife here, it seemed kind of boring, lifeless. Uh, it was like one person would talk and then they would volley it over to the next person and that would go here and then it would go here and it would be, it was so proper and so polite. It was like playing tennis, I guess, in some ways. And then I began to think about it and I thought, well, you know, it's really just kind of different because when I go to my home, it was like playing tennis with five balls. (laughs) I mean, they were going all over the place. Someone could get hurt and often did because of the multitude of words. But it wasn't real proper, it wasn't real polite, but it's just different. And as I began to think about it, I come from a home of what I call quick talkers. My wife comes from a home of what I call slow talkers. You ever notice that? And I began to think about it. This doesn't just happen in families. This happens also in board meetings. You ever been in a board meeting where you got people there and they just got to, and, they, and on one issue, they probably speak five or six times. In fact, three people speak five or six times and I'm one of them. While those who are slow talkers are not any less informed, they're not any less intelligent on the issue, they're just processing, and often they can go through a whole meeting and say nothing. And I got thinking about this in the Proverbs. It's just very basic in this. It's not only in family meetings and not only in board meetings. It happens in classrooms. It happens in, in small groups. Have you ever been in a small group where you know just a few people dominate most of what's going on? And one of the great things you can do as a quick talker is to begin to get some self-awareness, but self-awareness isn't all that's necessary. You might want to ask someone, am I a quick talker? Well, let's do this. How many of you here are quick talkers? Just raise your hand. I'm on real high. Come on, real quick, real high. Good. Okay, you can put them down. Now, I'm gonna, in about eight seconds, I'm going to ask the slow talkers to raise their hands. Because I, seriously, I want you to process this and think about it for a second. And when I ask you to do it, please raise your hand and raise them slowly. Um, slow talkers, raise your hand, please. Okay. Now, I've got to share with you one of the things you could do in a very loving way for one another is not only self-awareness quick talkers, but self-restraint, where you could, instead of quick talking three or four times on an issue, stop and look at the other person and go, what do you think about that, Joe? What do you think about that, Susie? And you know what they found in studies of, of boards when they do this? and when, when boards do, They become much more effective. And so I would just say to quick talkers, some of it is self-restraint. That's love. That's wisdom. And what I would say to slow talkers, you need to also have self-awareness of that. You probably do. But you also need to grow in some ways because people need to hear what you're thinking. So keep your words few. A truly wise person is one who begins to understand how important it is to not share and have to share everything. You have to start saying, what is it that is going on that I've got to share everything? Keep your words true. Keep your words true. Keep your words true. Psalm 52, verses 2 through 4, and Psalms is another one of what I call the wisdom books in the Bible. Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Proverbs. Psalm 52, 2 through 4. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good. Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. Just that. You love falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. And you're going, praise God, that's not me. Which we know in all studies that all people lie. Right? 
So you just lie. But anyway, um, to lie or deceive, no matter how small, whether it's a white lie or a audacious black lie, whether you're just shading the truth a little bit, whether you're exaggerating, whether you're defaming, fabricating, evading, falsifying, misrepresenting, overstating, are all manners of using our words in ways that are not true. There are ways to use words to manipulate reality. And a lot of times you've got to begin to ask yourself, why would I do that? Well, some of you have done it habitually. Some of it is because of shame. You don't want to take responsibility. So whenever you're in a tight spot, you use your words to paint a picture that's not really true of what's happened so that you can avoid responsibility. And I've got to share with you, if you're doing that in a relationship, whether it be marriage or at work, it's going to catch up to you. It's going to kill the relationship. It will not do you well. Proverbs makes that very clear. Proverbs at one point says, The Lord detests lying lips. He who pours out lies will perish. Proverbs 19.9 You will kill relationships. You will kill your relationship. You will, you will not experience the good that God wants you to have. In fact, Jesus tells us to lie is to, to act a lot like the devil. There's a point when he's talking to these religious leaders who are constantly seeking to manipulate their words so that they could look good and self-justified. And Jesus just saw how evil that was and the burden that was putting on broken and poor and people who were hungry for God. And he, he, he looks at them at one point and he says to them, why do you keep lying? And he says, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. That's his mother tongue. It just comes natural to him. And the reality is, it comes natural to us. It comes natural when you're a kid. At a certain point, you learn the fact that you can use words in such a way to either avoid responsibility, paint a picture of reality that's not really true, or you can use your words to paint a picture about yourself that will make you look better in people's eyes. And in both cases, it does not, in the long term, do you any good. And so Proverbs just begs you that when words come out of your mouth, make them true. God is all about showing up with your heart in His presence. He wants you. And He's all about you and, and, and for me to show up in truth before someone else. About four years ago, it was in the early part of my ministry in this church, I, I received an email from someone and it hit me wrong. And I did the foolish thing. You know, foolish person gushes out words. So I quickly wrote on my little smartphone, which I call the foolish phone at times, um, an email to a person to kind of forward it because it really concerned not just me but a couple others. And I wrote it with a sarcastic remark in order to forward it. And I hit the button. And when I hit the button, I realized I was sending it back to the very same person who had sent it to me. And I, I just, you know, anybody ever done anything stupid like that? I was thinking to myself, how do I retrieve that? You know, what's, you know, what's the way to get something to come back in the air, you know, back into my phone? I'm thinking of, you know, what can I do? You're, you're kind of, oh, what, what should I, you know, have they already seen it? Can I weasel my way out of this? And because God has just been working over the years in my life, just saying, you know what? When you do something stupid and you do something wrong, when you sin, you own up and you confess and you repent and you need to do that. And so I got on the phone immediately and called the person. They hadn't even seen it yet. I said, you need to look at your email and you need to read it. And I need to tell you. And that person read it. And I just said, I need to tell you I was completely wrong. I am so humbled 
And more than that, I am so sorry for any pain it may have caused in your life as you read it right now. And I spoke true words. I have no idea what this relationship could be like in the future. And as I spoke those words, the person shared their hurt and their pain, shared how surprised they were, and said to me, I forgive you. And today we have a very deep and strong friendship and relationship. I don't think we'd have that if I wasn't true and honest and owned up. Because you know what? I could have tried to move around that. But you know what happened when you do stuff like that? There's always this taint of something. There's trust that's broken. There, there's, we have this sense that the Spirit of God gives us that discerns. And you may be thinking you can get away from it, but I can promise you, when it comes to your words, make them true. If you need to get something right so reality is in a relationship, make it true. Keep your words gentle. Oh, you know, I should say this because I wrote this down. I think it's really important. You know, when, when, you, when you have to own up for something you've done wrong, the very process of owning up changes you so that you don't ever want to do it again. I, I, the Holy Spirit was saying, do not ever do that again and treat people in any way like that, which I was getting the message. But when you actually own up, you go, I don't want to do that again. It's a huge deterrent. Okay, keep your words gentle. It says in Proverbs 15.1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.4, gentle words are like a tree of life. Proverbs 25.15 says patient persistence pierces through indifference. Gentle speech breaks down ridges defenses. If you use harsh words, disrespectful words, devaluing words, words that rip and tear, that are explosive, you can bet over time it's 100% predictable, but what will happen is it will begin to raise the temper of the people, your volume will get higher, and eventually your, your, your neck will have these veins showing, your face will get red, and you'll begin to start to shout, and all these things will happen, and eventually you're going to have that all-out fight that you've probably experienced before, door slamming. And you have to ask yourself, is it really that good to throw these incendiary words into this kind of conversation? We all know when you're in it, you're going, oh, this just feels rotten. And when you get under, out of it, you're going, oh, why do we do this? I want to share with you the word of God says, keep your words few, keep your words true. But man, use gentle words. I am... Um, Heard a number of years ago at a Willow Creek Summit, some 10 years ago, Bill Hybels gave this advice to leaders, which I think is great advice. And I'll just share this with this point. He was sharing with people. He said, you know, if you want to help people um, and you're going into one of these situations where you're it's going to be a tense conversation, it's going to be confrontational. It's one of these things where you want to come in and you just want to point the finger and you want to accuse someone. He said, I, I found three words that made a huge difference. Three words that really are gentle, that break down defenses, that really turn the conversation so it will be meaningful and, and, and something helpful. He said, you know, when you want to come in, you want to say, okay, Bozo, why did you do this? He said, instead of doing that, come in and just say to the person, help me understand. Just use those three simple words, help me understand. And Heibel says, parents, try this. It's really useful in your conversation with kids. For instance, Bridget, help me understand why the phone bill was $400 this past month. Spouses, you might want to try it as well. Um, honey, could you help me understand why all the clothes are lying on the floor seven feet from the laundry container? I mean, it's so, so close to yet so far. What's with, you know, help me understand the seven feet. Or you, you kind of as a boss with an employee, you kind of say, 
Fred, would you help me understand why the last four people that I've asked you to manage have left the company? Would you help me understand? Not sarcastically, but honestly. Because gentle words will diffuse all kinds of other anger and all kinds of things that will create explosion that do nothing good in relationship. Keep your words few, true, and gentle. Keep your words life-giving. It's kind of like unnecessary negativity. What if you had all kinds of necessary life-giving words? Proverbs 16, verse 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb. That to them is like chocolate in that day. Sweet to the soul, healing to the bones, which we know chocolate is these days. Proverbs 15:4. Kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. Proverbs is kind of saying, if you're thinking of something good, just think about it. If you're thinking about something good, say it. Give life. If it's positive, let them know it. Let me share with you what I think are some life-giving words that could be said that you may need to say to someone even this week. Life-giving words. It's just good to practice. And one of them is, I forgive you. I forgive you. Probably three words that were so sweet to hear when I was on the phone explaining how stupid I was in that email I sent and the words from that person that said, I forgive you, were like life. Because those words allow for a relationship to begin again. Now, there'll be some trust that's been removed. It has to be earned and made consistent. But you know what? They give life. This past year, I've been thinking more and more. I mean, I don't know why, but I've been thinking more and more about my relationship with my wife. And I'm just blown away at how forgiving she is. That she look at me after the second, third, fourth, hundred thousand times. She look at me and say, I forgive you. Don't do it again. No. You know, I forgive you. Someone may need to hear those words from you. Their life is needing to be nourished by those simple words. I forgive you. There's another word, and this doesn't sound like life-giving words, but they really are. They're the words, no, stop, I won't accept that behavior anymore. You go, well, that's how life-giving is that? Parents, you do it to kids. Sometimes bosses, you have to say it to employees. Sometimes employees, you've got to say to your bosses, no, stop, I won't accept that behavior anymore. You may not work there any longer. But I have to tell you, sometimes in close relationships where people don't have proper boundaries, they haven't learned how to hold those boundaries. You have often in every relationship, there's one unboundary person. There's another person at times has to give life in words that says, no, stop. This is not appropriate. I will not allow this out of your own self-respect. I can tell you at times when you do that, it has the possibility of bringing life. But when you do that to a person who's unboundaried, I want to share with you also, they will get angry. So don't expect them to go, oh, thanks so much. I'm so glad you said stop. Because they're used to getting what they want. But you can give life-giving words like that. Those are hard life-giving words. There's also life-giving words, I need you. I need you. I, I had a, a mess, I heard a message from a pastor of a large church who was sharing a story of a really difficult time that he was going through in his ministry. And it was at a time when it was a bad stretch of, of ministry. And he was just contemplating leaving the ministry and going back into the work world. And he thought and he knew with his skills he could probably do well. And he had shared with a couple friends. And those friends actually shared with another person whom he had led to Christ, who was a part of that church and actually was working as a custodian at the church. And one day when he was walking through, he, he kind of grabbed this senior pastor and he said, you know what, 
I heard this. Is this true? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that you heard about it this way, but yeah, it's true. And he looked at me and he said, I need you. This church needs you. And he said it was like, this pastor said it was like the, his bell was rung. It was like for the first time he goes, man, I began to hear this, just the simple words, I need you, and realized that I was focusing so much on myself and my own pain, I didn't realize all the things that God was doing through me. And it was that that just kind of broke him out of this kind of state. Some of you may need to say to someone, I need you. You are so important. Someone around you who's discouraged, they just need to hear you say, I need you. Maybe this company needs you. There's words that are also important. I'm proud of you. I've been working to um, move my parents who are at a time in life where they're moving into a, a, another more care facility and I'm moving them out of a home that they have. And it's been really difficult. And uh, my dad called me a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and he said, Kevin, I just want to tell you something. You have brought the best out of me. And I, I, I said, Dad, well, thanks. And he goes, no, Kevin, I, listen, you've brought the best out of me. You've seen the best. And he said, I'm so proud of you. And what son doesn't want to hear that? There's someone around you who needs to hear life-giving words. They need to hear, I'm really proud of you. There's life-giving words. I believe in you. As you hand the keys to a child scared to death when they're taking the car, but you've trained them to handle responsibility and you look them in the eyes and you say, I believe in you. Those words change hearts and lives. And then I love you. In this next Saturday, my oldest daughter was here this morning and she's going to be standing up on this very platform and looking at the love of her life. And she's going to be sharing three words. I love you. And her fiancé, the groom, is going to look back and say three words. I love you. And he better mean it. (laughs) I mean, he better mean it. Those three words of commitment, it's going to change their lives and change, if God willing, their kids' lives and grandkids' lives and all kinds of people's lives around them. And there are people around you who need to hear those simple words. I love you. I'm committed to your good. Let me just conclude and I'll have the team come up at this time. Every day you get a chance to choose the words you're going to give. Give life, words that heal, they give comfort, words that can increase understanding, words that strengthen your relationship, words that can inflate a person with courage. There's a a pastor, Craig Greshel of Life Church, and he tells a story about a guy he met after church one day. It was after the services on a Sunday morning. This guy came up. His name was Scott. He asked for prayer, kind of like what we do here. Scott was deeply depressed. He told Craig all kinds of reasons why he felt so hopeless. And for 20 minutes, Scott told Craig why he had nothing to live for. And as he continued to talk to me, he realized that Scott was suicidal. Scott was saying things like, I'm not good at anything. No one loves me. I'll never get married. I'm a total failure. I'm sure you may have felt those kind of words at times in your own soul. Kind of rings out. 
So Craig prayed a quick prayer, as you know, you sometimes do in those situations, and he asked God, give me help. And to his mind, and that's the way the Spirit works at times, he, he had this image of this notebook, and he said, you know, he grabbed the notebook, and, and then he, he thought, well, I'll ask him for reasons why he should live. I'll ask him for a hundred reasons why to live. So he, he turns to Scott, and he, he says to Scott, um, I want you to give me a hundred reasons right now, right here, why your wor- life is worth living. And so Scott, uh, Craig says to him, what's your first reason? And Scott said, I already told you, I don't have any reason to live. Craig didn't back down. He said, just tell me one thing, just one thing, one reason to live. In fact, just give me one thing you're good at. And so Scott said, well, I'm a pretty good writer. And he was. He wrote the newsletter for his company uh, where he worked. And so Craig wrote that down and said, give me another reason. What else are you good at? Scott resisted, but Craig pressed him, and Scott, without cracking a smile, said, People say I'm pretty funny. And Craig said, Okay, you're funny. (laughs) Number three. And Scott said, Well, I look like Robert Redford. And Craig's thinking, He looks nothing like Robert Redford. (laughs) And so Craig said to Scott, Scott, you're very, very funny, and wrote down, Looks like Robert Redford. And there was a little bit of a breakthrough there. The ice was kind of thawing, and, and, and at this point, Scott smiled a little bit, and the ball began to roll, and the reason started to flow. And he wrote all these reasons. Now, 45 minutes later, they filled the pages with 100 reasons why his life was worth living and what Scott was good at. And by this time, Scott was in a better place, and so Craig just gave him a name of a consul and said, you know, encourage you to call him, which he did. Several months later, Scott moved. Craig lost track of him completely. So this is interesting. Craig writes these words. Can you imagine my shock when 12 years later, here Scott walks up to me after a church service and introduced me to his wife and son. And he tried to thank me, but he couldn't get his words out through the tears. Scott then pulled out his wallet and presented him a, a tattered sheet of paper to Craig with a hundred reasons to live on it. He had carried it with him all those years. And he gave the sheet to Craig. He said, I don't need this anymore. God has written a hundred new reasons to live on my heart. Proverbs says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose. I'm going to ask as we uh, move into this worship. Father, Just move in our hearts right now. We long for you to begin to work in our hearts to be the kind of people that begin to have restrained tongues speaking true, few, gentle, and life-giving words.